The opinions expressed in the following program are provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice from CJAD 800 or Bell Media. The following is sponsored content. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the, about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Michael Newton, who is in for Josh Miller tonight. Welcome back, Michael. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. So Josh is off this week and next week as well. He's, uh, as usual, in Hong Kong. Correct. You're stuck with me for two weeks in a row. I'm glad that I'm stuck with you. There are worse people to be stuck with. I guess that's a good thing. Uh, so let's let, let's talk about business with China first off the bat, because that's what Josh is up to right now. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty tense atmosphere in Hong Kong, uh, but he has some pretty well established connections. Uh, is it still? Do you feel safe going to, going to Hong Kong or having Josh in Hong Kong under the under the circumstances? You know, it's, it's it's very interesting. A lot of people have asked the question. I know people that have been you know supposed to be going through Hong Kong, coming back from cruises or whatever the case is, and the reality is a lot of people are a little. Uh, uneasy. Uh, my understanding is for the majority of people, especially those coming in on business, it's uh, there's not a lot to worry about. Good. So Josh will be back in two weeks. And next week on the program, we're going to bring back a, uh, a group of young entrepreneurs mm-hmm. who uh, have been phenomenally successful over the last few years in the popcorn business. So Correct. next week on the show with you, uh, Bad Monkey Popcorn, the uh, Zipili brothers are back. And this week, we're going to talk a little bit about design with Patricia uh, Lapari of Maison Lapari Home Decor. And she'll be on the program in a few minutes later in the show. Nick Moretis talks about succession, a big issue with Maison Lapari, and uh, he'll go into the taxes and trusts and all that later in the program. Uh, but first, let's begin uh, with some entrepreneurial news and notes. And my question of the week, Mike, and I'll, I'll repeat a question I asked Josh, uh, I think last week or the week before, and that is on networking, because whenever you stop by, uh, we have this tradition, I guess, of you uh, <laughs> nagging me that I'm a terrible networker and that despite my media thing, I should be out there doing more networking, which I haven't and since I saw you last. Um, but I see these networking celebrities really on LinkedIn. Yeah. LinkedIn, Montreal business networking. I mean, it has exploded in the past year. Are these business influencers uh, doing the right thing, or or is it? Can you can you do too much of this social media networking? Well, I think like anything else, you, it's got to be part of a strategy. Uh, you know, you, you and I joke uh, that uh, Josh and I have a very different way of sitting down and networking and 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 looking at it. He's going to be out. He's going to be socializing. My approach is a little more like yours, maybe a little more uh, behind the scenes to a certain degree. Um, but I think when you're looking at the influencers and you're looking at this whole exercise that you know has really exploded, like you said, in the last year, and if you know certainly in the last six months. Uh, you've got to take it in stride. You've got to look at it as part of the strategy. The hard part with all of these things is how do you personalize you know, what you need and get out of it as opposed to just some kind of general big picture approach to, to doing things. And for small entrepreneurs, obviously, it can be very useful if it's done properly. You've got to make sure, though, that like everything else, your, your morals and your values and, and what you want to get out of it needs to be very clear from the beginning. Otherwise, you can be, and, and I'm not saying it's 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 done on purpose, uh, but you could be led astray very simply by, by not asking the right questions. Hmm. What would you say, you know, if you are the head of a company and are one of these kind of um, influencers or uh, perhaps a celebrity entrepreneur, how much time out of the office can you take before uh, there starts to become leadership issues back at home? 
It all depends on your organization. I mean, I'd, I'd love to say there's a hard and fast rule, but it's like anything else. I mean, the, the amount of time that, that you spend in the office or out of the office is going to be a function of how strong the team is below, as well as, as, as the strategy that you have in place for your organization. So, you know, it's nice, to, it's nice to be doing some of these things that we're talking about, but you also have a business to run at the end of the day. So if you've built the structure and the infrastructure in such a way that allows you to uh, be out doing uh, non, shall we call it, non-administrative or non-business type related things, then great. Uh, If not, I don't think one is supposed to come at the expense of the other. Some new stories now. And speaking of influencers, this from the Financial Post uh, from a couple weeks ago uh, in a piece by Denise DeVoe, how even small businesses can harness the power of influencers. Uh, What tips would you have if someone wants to go in, in that direction for their company? Well, I think the one thing you've always got to make sure, like I said a few minutes ago, is this: this making sure your morals and your values and what you're trying to establish and get out of uh, of the exercise is there. It's you know, there's a lot of very good. I mean, we can go back to you can take this all back to you know advertising back in you know 50, 60, 70 years ago, and say that uh, you know there's a lot of really good things that come out of it. There's a lot of not so good things that come out of it. And how do you want to manage that situation? And, and how, what do you want to achieve from doing so? So from a small entrepreneur, the only the, the risk that you run is you have limited resources. Um, and if that limited resource is your time or your dollars, then you've got to make sure you get the most, uh, you can't afford to make a mistake. We're almost coming back to the way it was in the 50s and 60s yeah. at the dawn of TV when you had news anchors kind of taking a break from their broadcast to say, well, let me tell you about Frigidaire today. Exactly. Um, and that, that direct rapport with the consumer uh, seems to be more effective these days. It does. I think there's a couple of reasons behind it. I think part of it is just we have, we've had so much impersonal thrown at us in, in, in terms of marketing, in terms of online, uh, you know, who do you believe? Uh, I think people want to try and go back and, and whether whether it actually is to create a connection or whether it's just because it's a different connection at this point, I guess time will tell. This story from Inc.com, forget the trinkets, here are seven holiday gifts to reward your entire team. We have to be conscious of... Uh Political correctness, right? I mean, you can you can definitely give the wrong gift at holiday time. Yeah, I got a chuckle out of this one. Uh, I, I could see so many so many negative directions. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, who are who are you giving the gifts to? Uh, remember that whatever direction you're doing over the holidays, it's not supposed to be about what you like. I mean, this article was kind of focusing on doing things for your uh, entire office. So, you know, do you have an extra vacation day, or do you have uh, you know, more greenery in the office type of thing. Do you put out food, uh, you know, for clients and for for everybody else? The reality is you've got to know who you're dealing with. You also have to recognize, you know, if you've got five employees or 100 employees and what that looks like. Uh, and make sure at the end of the day that what you're trying to put out there is what they want and not what the owner wants. And coming up, uh, talking about Maison Le Paris, we'll talk about how they, they just get down to it and cook some homemade pasta for their clients on a regular basis. So that'll be coming up in a few Yeah, minutes. you know, I'm, I'm kind of hoping this uh, session ends soon because I'm getting hungry just <laughs> listening to them. So. Uh, up next, three ways your businesses can start 2020 strong. Uh, this is from entrepreneur.com, and this has a lot to do with uh, harnessing data. Yeah, funny enough, um, I got sidetracked when I read this article and, and uh, to an older article, which actually uh, went uh, in the direction of the cost of bad data. Uh, I, we're, we're all faced with a uh, huge amount of information, a huge amount of data that gets thrown at us on a regular basis. Uh, what do we do with it? And the problem that we're seeing now is an abundance of data that's not properly managed or uh, even worse, is not reliable and transparent, where you end up making decisions based on, on information that is not relevant to what you're doing. And there are some statistics coming out right now that are saying somewhere in the ballpark of about 30% of some companies' profits are being lost uh, to the fact that they are getting either the improper data, unreliable data, or um, just being steered in the wrong direction. 
I, I took a look at my Twitter data over the weekend, and I have to say Twitter is one of the social networks that offers you a look at more of your data compared to Facebook and the right. others. And I noticed how wrong it was. They, mm -hmm. they, they list all the categories of the things it thinks you're interested in. Yeah. A lot of them were my girlfriend's interests that we had discussed yeah. over Facebook chat or or text message. Uh, some of them were stuff that had to do with my friends that I'm totally not interested in. So the data from social media, particularly, I, I would caution, is uh, is not so reliable, even if it's super sophisticated by the biggest social networks. Hundred percent. The, the you know what you're going to do with that information at the end of the day, you've got to be able to say, okay, can I rely on what's there? I mean, even within our own organization, I mean, you know, you're talking about an accounting firm and a consultant. Uh, Consulting firm that has access to a lot of lot of data, um, we see a lot of information that comes out that if you don't actually vet it and spend some time drilling down on it, you recognize that it's not always exactly what you think it is, and you can make an, an improper decision. And also, social media likes, not data. Uh, <laughs> That's correct. just my opinion. <laughs> correct. Well, I, I would have to agree with you, but I'm the older one, oldest one in this room, so I'm going to have to say, yeah, I agree. La uh, lastly, from Fast Company uh, from yesterday, when should you hire for a culture fit? So. More, I suppose they're they're saying hiring for uh, for the right vibe, for the right kind of uh, um, interpersonal uh, skills over sort of the CV and the and the sort of the rote skills. Yeah, it's you know the uh, the whole discussion right now on um, on the culture fit is it seems to be taking over from the emotional intelligence conversation that was really popular for a while. Uh, and what are you doing with it? And, this, you know, you're talking somewhere in this ballpark of agility, alignment, collaboration, engagement, a lot of these, you know, very uh, important factors that we build culture based on, uh, but they're really gray. You know, there's no real. So you, you, you've got again, you've, you've got to be looking at your organization. You've got to look at what you're trying to do. Is is culture an important component of what you're what you're selling, what you're creating? Uh, you know, if you're on an assembly line, is it the same culture that you're building if you're running a professional law office? The likelihood is no. And at what point do you, you start looking? So, again, it has to be specific. Nothing that you read. And as we go back to the data discussion, nothing. And there's so much of it around. Do you read that is going to be 100 percent correct for you? Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. Let's get started in a moment with Patricia LaParry of Maison LaParry. And uh, they do home decor, and it's a family business, so we're going to talk a lot about succession and, uh, and giving away delicious pasta. Uh, all on the way. Sounds good. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller-Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Michael Newton in for Josh Miller this week. And uh, Mike, let's welcome Patricia LaParry of Maison LaParry Home Decor to the program. Uh, Patricia, welcome. Hi. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Thanks for dropping by. So, Mike, do you want to start with the, the softball question of the night? Yeah, we're going to kind of throw out there, you know, kind of a little bit of history on the family, the family business, uh, what you guys are doing, uh, what you may have changed in time that, uh, you know, you learn the good or the bad. Oh, the good and the bad. Okay, so uh, history on the business. So my parents are um, first generation Italian immigrants. So they came to Canada in like the sixties, early sixties. They got married, and my mom has an extreme sense of business right away. They were like, "Okay, let's start a business together." And essentially, um, my dad comes from a family of merchants. Okay. They had a business back in their hometown in in Sicily. And so he always had a love for finer things and, and, and beautiful linens and whatnot. So they started with that. Uh, they started with that. And also my mom at the time was working in a uh, 
pantyhose and undergarment factory. Mm-hmm. So she, what she would do is she would actually uh, buy the pantyhose from the factory she was working in and go and sell them at the neighboring factory who was making uh, yeah so she had that entre- entrepreneurial spirit from day one big time and then she so she would go sell it at the, the factory that would make underwear and then buy the underwear from that one and go sell it to her factory who made pantyhose so like that kind of just between that and my dad's uh, love for finer things they just kind of started selling so when you first opened Maison Lapari, what what were you selling so this was back in 72 and we were, well, they were selling at the time because I wasn't even born. They were selling undergarments and table linens, you know, but like not mm-hmm. nothing really super fancy. Mm-hmm. And so eventually with time, that, that was really successful actually. And then with time, what happened was that they started importing merchandise. So finer linens from Italy just because of their roots. Okay. And so, and that with time also evolved into, okay, well now we're doing linens. Let's do tableware. And then from tableware, it was, okay, let's do a fine tabletop and then kitchenware and then cooking accessories and then giftware. And they kind of just kind of spiraled into what it is today. Always in the same location? No. So they originally started in like maybe a thousand some square foot small shop on like La Cordaire and La Cordaire and Jean Talon. Okay. And um, once they started bringing in more and more merchandise, that's when they decided to move further down the street on L'Angely into like a what started as a three or four thousand square foot location and then eventually throughout the years turned into a ten thousand square foot location. Who are your customers? Are you selling mostly retail or to other businesses? So um, our customers, so we have a beautiful customer base um, which retail primarily let's say and so that was all it was always a retail store and lately well i would say probably like 15 years ago it started becoming a b2b thing and then maybe five years ago it went online so when you say b2b are you talking selling to hotels selling to uh, that type of environment yeah so we because we carry a very select and niche group of brands in like including Christophe and Bacra and beautiful mm-hmm. stuff from Europe and, and fine linens from Frette. We uh, developed a clientele that was a little bit more particular from the B2B side. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do hotels, but it's mostly a boutique or five-star hotels. We do restaurants also sometimes, which mm-hmm. are more refined. And then we also do uh, private aviation a lot. So okay. a lot of our customers uh, from the B2B side come from private aviation or, or yachts or projects or so, um, yeah, well, sorry I'm sure that I'm sure that'll catch everybody's interest what what are you doing on the private yachts and the and the aviation side so we furnish all of the beautiful tabletop that they use to dine on board we furnish all the custom linens uh, we do all the decor accessories the throws uh, so all of that kind of good stuff how did you end up in that <laughs> uh, my mom's persistence let's say <laughs> yeah because she was uh, well, mainly, not only my mom's persistence, but the brands, because we have a lot of high-end brands. We attract a certain customer. But did you market to those people? Never. Okay. We actually never so marketed. So these were, it kind these of were just... potentially walk-in clients? Yeah, people, you know, like word of mouth. Okay. That's how our business started and evolved, and it's it's been word of mouth for literally 50 years almost. And we only started doing some small form of marketing maybe two years ago. We never did any major ads. It was really a lot of excellent service, really good products, really good pricing. So that kind of word got around. Very specific. Um, you opened a second location two weeks ago. 
We did. I'm tired. <laughs> I, I, I can't even. I can't even begin. After yeah. the break, we'll come back and maybe dig into what prompted uh, that, that type of that type of move. But sure. I, I have to assume that you know, having dealt with the the retail market in where, where's the first store? Just to give everybody the an idea. The first store is in Montreal East. So it's L'Angelier and Jean Talon, which is like maybe a few minutes from Galerie d'Anjou, St. Leonard. Okay. So that was there for, we've been there since 72. So everything anybody wants, they can find in that location. And if not, use special order? Yeah, for many years, that's what we were doing. And now we kind of, um, we decided to open the second location to get closer to our customers and be more central. And we decided to also uh, pivot the stock a little bit, like the selection. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You're in an area that's sort of like a home decor neighborhood, right? Is would that did that factor into the decision and or were you scared to be next to competitors? No, well, I, well competitors I think that's a whole other discussion. We don't really have a per, like a a particular competitor here. We do. We have a bunch of competitors, but all in different kind of hmm. uh, branches of the business. But uh we did it just because well, first of all, we want to be more central and give everybody like an excuse to come just because now a lot of our customers are saying, oh my God, it's so far. I don't want to drive in the traffic and whatnot. And and we really get it. Like we we really, really get it. And it's circumstantial that we were in the East End for many years. But um, we've, it's probably 10 years that we're looking to come to the Dakari area just because it's 15 minutes away from everyone. So now everyone has a less than So why did you pull the trigger now? A good opportunity to lease came up. Okay. I had the support that we needed to 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 do the move because it's a huge undertaking. Like especially, it's not a small store. Like the original store is ten thousand square feet. This one here is seven thousand square feet. So it's there's a lot to a lot of space to fill, a lot of stock to move, a lot of staff to you know. And so we we got a really good op- leasing opportunity in the Union, uh, Car Union, mm-hmm. and so right uh, right next right to Union yep. and uh, Jardin de Ville and. And so we felt that also the uh, the customers that they attract were were great, let's say cross pollination for for our type of business, and the customers that we attract were great for for theirs as well. And it just the stars aligned. So coming up, we'll talk a bit about marketing. We'll talk about uh, family dynamics as well and succession, which is hugely important. And later in the program, Nick Moretta's tax partner at FL uh, will give us some tips on succession and uh, and all that uh, kind of important transition work for family businesses. Patricia LaParry of Maison LaParry, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Mike Nugent in for Josh Miller this week and next as Josh is uh, in Hong Kong on business. And uh, Mike, uh, tonight we're talking with uh, Patricia LaParry of Maison LaParry. They've been doing home decor uh, for both retail and B2B for uh, over 40 years now. And uh, Patricia joins us in studio. So, uh, Patricia, we're, we're talking a little bit about marketing, how you guys got the word out there. Um, certainly a lot of word of mouth in your marketing history. And you have this past a thing, which I have to believe is a pretty strong marketing tool as well. Uh, tell me about your you guys cooking for food, uh, food for your clients on a regular basis. Yeah. So once when we pivoted to uh, cook cookware and kitchen accessories and whatnot, we decided to build a kitchen in the St. Leonard location, an actual functioning kitchen. And uh, because we love food also, we decided to cook for our customers just because we know we're far away. Well, East End. We're, we know we're far away from certain uh, areas of Montreal. And we say, okay, well, 
customers are coming all the way down to see us and and shop and whatnot let's let's you know cater to them because we are very customer centric and we say okay let's cater to them and let's cook them a nice lunch so that's how it started and uh my mom back in the old country <laughs> back in italy uh her job at home was when she was little was to make the homemade pasta so this is kind of where it you know <clears throat> She has an act for that, and she's she's an excellent cook, my dad as well. And so it just kind of spiraled from there, and we we decided that every Saturday we would make homemade pasta for our customers and demo the cookware, demo the, um, the, the, the KitchenAid mixer or the attachments to make the pasta. And so also from there, then we, we hired a woman who, who's a professional in this, and she just, come, well, professional. She's an Italian lady, and she comes in and she cooks every Saturday. And my mom basically will make lunch during the week. Okay. Yeah. Nice. You set up the same a new kitchen at the new location as well. We did. Okay. Guest appearances by Mrs. Leapery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, On she Saturdays. Has, she has quite the following, so uh, really I, I'm, I'm sure you had to make sure that she shows up once in a while. Yes. Yeah, uh, so we we created a uh, her environment, which is a, a kitchen. Okay. Yeah. So she'll be she'll be coming there. Pretty often because we both shuttle between both stores. Okay. We, both have, we take care of both of them. And uh, again, she does have a very, like she has a cult following of customers. A lot of customers ask for her. And so she'll be she'll be making appearances and she'll be cooking and she'll be entertaining. It's a little, little in-house marketing and uh, advertising while you're at it. So you're shuttling back and forth. Obviously, setting up a second store is not an easy task. No. It's time consuming. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Uh, the likelihood is you're going to move into a new store. You're going to modernize everything from your accounting systems to a lot of other technology, inventory systems, and everything else. Um, I can only assume that there's been a little bit of maybe butting heads along the way as you've uh, tried to, 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 to move to a new environment. Yes. So um, there's like, I think a lot of our customers know this too. There's a large generational gap between myself and my parents. Um, my mom had me at 40, I'm uh, 42, sorry. And my dad was 50 at the time. So my mom's now uh, 72 and my dad is 80. So essentially, uh, because there's a generation missing and that's a generation that would have normally put in place certain processes like computer systems right. <laughs> yeah and inventory management and um, proper accounting systems and whatnot I mean we always ran our business very well but there are certain things that were missing that came about later on in the last five years so we had a lot of catching up to do in the last five years but we did it right. so we're fully computerized with Lightspeed uh, we have proper accounting systems now and we have a functioning e-commerce Still a little bit of a Frankenstein, but a work in progress, and it's it's we're so, revamping the whole website so right now. What's your, what's your goal for the the e-commerce? Are you looking to use this as a means to an end? Are you actually looking to sell more? Like, what is is there is there a marketing angle to well, your online sales? Well, our our retail store caters obviously to a local customer base. Um, our online store has no boundaries, obviously, and we ship to the strangest like very far away places okay. and we've been doing this for well now it's four years of a functioning e-commerce and it's been growing year after year and we see that there's a demand to to shop online and it's normal i mean we're so it we know that the future of our a, a big portion of our business the future is online and and we're catering to that like we're adapting okay 
The millennial generation of a lot of uh, new businesses, I find, are, are trying to convince the older generation to modernize a little bit. What tips would you give to should. millennial entrepreneurs to like what, what arguments work for you? With my parents? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> just like you have to just do it. <laughs> like I wish I would have been more um, firm. Mm -hmm. about like well again there's a generational gap missing so my parents are a little bit older so it's a little bit harder to come and i don't want to shock them into into the 21st century let's say mm -hmm. i mean they are very modern in their own way and they're amazing business people i mean we are where we are for a reason uh but i would have maybe done things faster and and with a little bit more pressure <laughs> but it, it's an interesting topic because i mean you're, you're talking about this one specific, but that generational gap and trying mm -hmm. to bring your business with a family into that next generation is going to be met traditionally with resistance. Yeah. Right. That's I normal. mean, it's worked well for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years or whatever that is in a family business. Why do we want to change? Why do we want to spend the money? Why do we want to reallocate resources? I mean, obviously, this means more people, more time, mm -hmm. more dollars. You moved into a new location, you've got HR issues. So you've gone from what, 20 employees to now. 30 employees. You now have decentralization, whereas before you could kind of you know, yell at each other across the uh, across the store. Uh, now it's it's not quite the same thing. So what is that dynamic shift and the change done for the relationships with your parents? I think that in the last five years, the changes that we made to the business and like modernizing it with the systems and with, with a proper website and whatnot, I think that helped them trust me and my decisions. So now they're at a point where they're like, okay, whatever you say kind of makes sense like as long as we you, you knew know. what you were talking about so yeah it's a it good worked start. like right. it was it was a positive i mean our business increased with all of these changes so like it was a positive so now they see that okay at first they were like oh we don't want to do it but when when they see that things work they're like they give more rope and that's normal and i mean i understand that as a as, as their child i really understand that and especially that they're older and you know so you've been there yeah. for how long now on a full-time basis five years and how would you say the relationship is today versus five years ago? It's good because they trust me more. Okay. Yeah, they trust me more because the business is going in directions that they always hoped it would go. And now it's actually like that the wheel is turning. So they trust me. I have support around me. We have an amazing staff. And, and so it, it really helps. Like this whole thing really helps. And the fact that the new store is, it's only been two weeks that it's open, but we see the response from customers and the response from the staff and it's very positive. So all of these things kind of help them trust me more. So when you moved to the second location, was that a joint decision? Was that kind of you pushing in that direction? What was, they what, what was the knew, impetus? They always knew it had to happen. Uh, we were just waiting for the right moment. The right, like timing obviously was key and, and the right location. Because like location, location, location. It's true. It's true. Right. I agree. Oh. Yeah, it's important to have a really good location and this kind of fitted, like it suited all of our needs. So what moving into the new location, how does that affect the bridal uh, business that you're working on and how does that affect the registry side of the business? Yeah, so we have a wonderful uh, registry business because we have an amazing selection of products and uh, and also the pasta helps because, you know, <laughs> the bride's kind of hang out. You can never go wrong. Them. Never go wrong no. with homemade pasta. Everyone hangs out for longer and all what day. What kind of pasta, by the way? Uh, all sorts, actually, okay. but mainly um, the... the uh, the woman who comes on Saturdays, her her specialty is spaghetti alla guitarra, which is like um, hand-cut spaghetti. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. Yeah, this is really good. I Just recommend. a side issue. Damn it, yeah. it's free. <laughs> what, are you, what, what are you being you picky for? <laughs> <Not> <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but um, but they make all kinds of stuff. They'll okay. make lasagna. They'll, they'll make all sorts okay. of stuff. And my mom in the week makes all sorts But anyway, uh, the bridal. So right now what we did is that we uh, moved the bulk. Well, the bulk. Brides, can still, brides and grooms can still register at both stores. 
but it's easier to start it at the Dakari location just because we have a, a selection that's more curated for for rising rooms. Mm-hmm. And so and we have a staff that's amazing there that that does registries. And they can always complete it at the the second location in St. Leonard. Uh, that one has more price point products and, and really good deals because we're shifting it to a, a more of an outlet. Okay. Um, th- we have the space for it. So it's like the space is really good for that type of, yeah. So how, how does that, how do you think that's going to affect the the, bride, the, the bridal sales? In, in, in... It, I mean, it should only be positive because they're going to be able to get all of their like really beautiful tabletop and giftware and whatnot linens at our union location and they'll be able to complete the registry with more price point items like salad spinners and and whatnot at the uh, original location in St. Leonard. So they'll be able to shop for amazing, well, any customer can shop for amazing deals at, still at both, but more price point uh, items at the St. Leonard location and more curated uh, higher end selection at the union location. Real quick, Patricia, have you yeah. spoken with your parents about succession yet? Because that's our next topic on the show. Succession. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, in what sense? Just the... Like, what w- happens? What happens, what happens when next? they retire? When are you going to take over? Is there a plan in place? Yeah. I mean, ish. Like, okay. ish in the sense that my, my, my mom is a freight train. And okay. she is, like, the salesperson of all salespeople. She's amazing. My mom... Like, both of them are amazing. Both my, my dad and my mom. And so, she... She, whenever she wants to retire, she decides, right. and she, that's okay. But I feel like she loves what she does. They both love what they do. My dad's a little bit older, so maybe he he's more like, okay, I'm fed up, like it's enough. <laughs> but my mom is very much, you know, still. So she just wants to make sure that both locations are set up correctly and that they can be self-sustainable. And then maybe, she, maybe if she wants, she'll take a step back. All right, so we're talking to Nick Moretta's tax partner at FL about that succession coming up next. And Patricia, think about your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, and we'll ask you that at the end of the show, please. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult FL Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. We're joined by Patricia LaParry of Maison LaParry Home Decor. We'll have Patricia's one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a second. But first, we welcome back Nick Moretta's tax partner at FL to talk about succession, which is an issue that uh, the LaParrys are going to face eventually. And Nick, welcome back. Hi, Dan. Uh, so, Mike, let's start with, with succession. It is it is really important. By the way, have you guys seen the show Succession? It's excellent. I have not seen it yet. It's a really, it's a lot of fun. I'd recommend it. Is it? it. Yeah. Sidebar. That's my bedtime. <laughs> but uh, what happens, uh, in Nick, in terms of basic planning? So what, what are some some uh, documents, some contracts, some, some things that uh, a basic family business should have in place as they march towards that, uh, that succession route? The, our issue has been always, how do we transfer to the next generation? Um, and, and that's a problem because first, the parents have to appreciate that if your plan is to be the owner of the business to your last breath, then then there's no succession plan. We don't have to worry about it. But eventually, once the children do get involved and they're taking on a greater role in the business, eventually the children will be looking back at the parents saying, hey, how about I, I can I get a, become an owner of this business? And that's when we start getting involved. And then know Mike get, gets involved just on the, 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 the psychology, the, the management of the governance. I come along um, for my little end is, is look at tax. And, and what, what do we start looking at? Well, uh, how do I transfer? I'm the owner of a business. How do I transfer it over to my kids? So in a way that's tax efficient. And, and the problem, uh, unfortunately, uh, still to this day, and I think I've mentioned it on this show in the past, is that the, the fiscal laws don't help. 
families to tran- transition businesses. So if uh, the Laparis decide to sell their business to Mike, myself, and you, Dan, together, we can organize it to be fiscally efficient for ourselves and for them in terms of buy-sell. But if the family tried to do it amongst themselves, the, the loss could uh, come in and say, well, wait a second, we won't give you what you could do by selling it to a third party. And, and that has the, the government knows it's there. I know Quebec um, several years ago came out with uh, some legislation to try to ease that process, but they came in with a whole bunch of conditions. So it's kind of difficult. So we started looking around. The one thing we did realize over the time, especially from immigrant families, um, I'm of Greek heritage and you're of Italian heritage, and somehow our, our, our parents and their parents, when they came over, oh, we just give it, give it to you and you just transfer over ownership. Well, the government here doesn't work that way. It may work uh, back in the old country, but it doesn't work that way. So what do we do when we're called in? And we start looking at it and say, okay, what if mom and dad organized the shares of the business in such a manner that they, they own part of it, they control all of it, but they start passing that ownership into the generation that's working in the business? And how do we do that? Uh, we have buzzwords. We call it estate freezes. We have other buzzwords. We use trusts. And this is the manner by reorganizing your business so you have multiple owners of the business that you can now turn around and start, okay, we can set up something where mom and dad own, own the business that they grew up until today. They have full control so that they don't lose that control because they are usually the ones financing it at the end. And we now set up a family trust that will own the future of the business, and that family trust will one day transfer the shares of that business, as usually it's in the corporation, to the next generation. And that transfer bypasses the taxes that come on death. It bypasses any taxes that the government would like to assess, because today it happens tax-free. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, um, on death, as we all know, there's a deemed disposition. And if uh, your business is worth, say, a million dollars and you pass away and then you figure you're going to transfer that business over, well, first you have to find a check for give or take a quarter of a million to send to the government before it can be transferred over to your children. So how do you mitigate that? How do you do something? And that's when we start talking about estate freezing and trusts. So, But this requires a plan. And this goes back to where many times, Mike, when you get involved, I'm, I'm usually one of the actors who come in to work on the play uh, on on the plan, and many times there's a lot more stuff going on that that has to be in terms of the management. Yeah, you know the hard part with all of this is getting somebody to sit down and try and create a strategic plan for transition is a little bit like getting somebody to sit down and discuss death and their will. You know the reality is they don't really want to talk about it. They know it has to be done eventually. And when you start bringing in the fiscal reservations that you're talking about from the tax side, a lot of families just kind of push this off because they don't want to think about it. You're what are you doing? I'm going to create a transaction. I'm going to pass it to the next generation. I am ultimately not going to create any kind of cash event, Nothing. but I owe the government money. Right? That's right. And, and, and this is a very difficult process, and you've got uh, to get past that psychology initially. It's 100%. It's like buying, I guess, life insurance. You're buying it never to see the money. Right. That you're going to get. Yeah, you're, which I've always hopeful. thought was uh, not one of my better things for me to gamble on me dying early because that's how you win in a life insurance game. I didn't think it was a great bet. That's but. right. But in many times when we do all these uh, these structures, the one thing that we absolutely do need in the family environment is time. Yeah. If we don't have the time, then a lot of these don't work. The business doesn't yeah. grow enough. The, that, that, there's that. enough road lead time. And especially when you bring in the management that has to go with the kids taking over, as you were discussing during the show today, just just what do I do to take over the day-to-day rules? Well, never mind me coming along and playing around with shares. Yeah, and the problem you've got in many of those cases is, like you said, you're, you, you have a forced event that comes on. So you have an event whereby somebody gets sick. 
God forbid somebody dies. Okay, it's very difficult to plan after the fact. Okay, for tax planning, you need a minimum of 24 months, but you even have any chance at doing anything. But it really needs to be four or five years. Yeah, and absolutely. and, and you got to get people to face their own if mortality. Not, at that well, point. actually, that, that trust gives you 21 years, so you can think about that. Nick Moritas, tax partner at FL, uh, always helpful. Thanks so much. And uh, now we'll turn to Patricia, and it's that time, Patricia, to close the show. Uh, what is your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? One piece of advice? Um, well, uh, persistence. Persistence, hard work. That never fails. <laughs> that, like, literally never fails. A passion. Like, we're really passionate about what we do. We love our customers. We listen to our customers. We love the product that we sell. We, we, we want to brew that type of environment. I mean, so I think definitely persistence, hard work, and passion. I think you need to start a survey. Mm-hmm. Okay, we need to start a survey to figure out how many people say somewhere between execution and passion, getting yeah. things passion done and the love for what they do. Right love is number one answer, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Patricia LaPerry, Maison LaPerry, uh, with their new location on the carry now. Thanks so much and congratulations. Thank you. Nick, we'll see you back here soon. And uh, Mike Newton in for Josh Miller. We'll be back next week with the Bad Monkeys from uh, Bad Monkey Popcorn. You got it. Looking forward to it. Don't forget a decade's worth of entrepreneur profiles at todaysentrepreneur.org, and we'll see you back here next week. Good Thanks, Dan. The opinions expressed in the preceding program were provided for general information purposes only and should not be construed as advice from CJAD 800 or Bell Media. The preceding was sponsored content.